Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today on the Focus on Why podcast, I am joined by Tim Shaw. Welcome, Tim. Thank you for having me. And where are you joining us from today? Indianapolis, Indiana in uh, the United States. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for coming on Focus on Why. It is going to be a really exciting exploration into the world of hypnosis. Mm, yes. Yeah, it's a fascinating world. It opens so many doors and makes the impossible suddenly possible. And can you remember that first door that you opened into that world? Oh, yes. So the very first door was um, I had a lot of anxiety uh, growing up in life, and I was always waiting for the next bad thing to happen. And of course, we all experience big T and little t traumas in our life that uh, affect us. And so I, uh, in high school, I had my first psychology class and I thought, that's what I want to do with my life. I want to learn how to use the power of my mind to feel safe and feel loved and feel like I'm good enough, even though I wasn't using those words <laughs> at the time. And, uh, and so I went to school for psychology and I was learning a lot of theory and uh, but I took this counseling processes class and they had guest speakers that came in. And one of them happened to be a hypnotist. And the hypnotist uh, was talking about using the power of your mind to achieve goals and to feel peaceful. And I thought, well, that's what I want. So then he offered to do a demonstration. And I thought, well, I'll cluck like a chicken because I didn't know anything about hypnosis. I'm like, I'll volunteer. And so uh uh, so he had me close my eyes and I was a little nervous, but he was talking to me and just saying relaxing things and had me imagine myself um, in situations feeling calm and peaceful. And then all of a sudden I noticed that that knot in my stomach that I always walked around with that anxiety, worry, fear, uh, self-criticism disappeared, it like wasn't there. I just felt a feeling of calm, a sense of ease. And I'm like, what is this? I mean, I was still fully aware. I could hear my classmates giggling at me, probably because I was so relaxed in the chair, but I didn't care, which was also strange because usually I was very concerned about how others thought of me. And in that moment, did not matter. I just felt a sense of peace and I got hooked on that. I'm like, what is this all about? Because I went to school um, in a place where it was all about behavior modification where pretty much we are conditioned reflexes, kind of like robots, right? And, and, uh, and they didn't believe in tools like hypnosis and uh, an unconscious drivers and, and beliefs and stuff like that. So uh, I went to find a hypnosis school on my own and I did, and it was a couple of hours away and I went for a full week. It was my first time away from home all by myself, even though I was like 21 or 22 and, and, uh, and every day for about seven days in a row, I was the only uh, hip, um, college kid there. Everybody else was a medical doctor. And, uh, and it blew me away. You know, what uh, when they were talking, my first professor was Dr. Gisela Zuskowski. And she, uh, she opened my mind to all kinds of new possibilities. And it was extraordinary. 
And how does it feel to have sort of, I'm just trying to sort of take you back because you, you actually said it yourself that you weren't using those words and the language that you're now using to describe how you felt then. Can you can you remember that first sort of moment and the language you were you were sort of using and the things that you were thinking in that first time that you were being hypnotized? What I was thinking up to it was I'm stressed, I'm frustrated, things don't work out for me. You know, I'm not that smart, so I have to work extra hard and I didn't want to work extra hard because I really didn't think it was going to matter anyway. I was always just trying to survive. I wasn't thriving. I was surviving. I wasn't playing to win. I was playing not to lose. And so in my mind, I was always worried about, you know, what could I get? What advantage could I get here? How am I going to get through this? You know, I was very much manipulating and um, stressed a lot, always worried about money, always being broke, always trying to, you know, figure out what I was, what my next move was going to be. And so I carried, a lot, I carried around a lot of pressure, a lot of insecurity, a lot of self-doubt. And when I first started uh, having experiences with hypnosis, just the feeling of relaxation, just that sense of ease was so different. I mean, I was like, wow, what is this? And, um, and then uh, uh, I started learning that your thoughts have influence over how you feel. Well, I didn't know anything about I didn't pay attention to my thoughts. I didn't pay attention to what I was saying to myself. I didn't pay attention to, uh, I thought that, you know, life was happening to me, that God didn't like me very much, <laughs> you know, that, that I just, you know, for whatever reason, you know, I didn't like me very much. I, you know, I, I would say that I love myself, but I didn't really like myself. And um, just because of a whole bunch of experiences that I had when I was younger. And so um, it was all very, very uh, new to me. And I was learning tools and ideas in psychology, but it wasn't, it wasn't very helpful. You know, it was just a lot of theory that kind of went in one ear and out the other. It didn't feel like, how does that apply to my life right now? How does it make me feel better right now? You know, a lot of people in therapy are like, you know, I've gone for years and I don't feel any better. You know, I've talked about some stuff, you know, but I still don't feel much better. And and that's the problem with a lot of uh, therapies out there today. So um, it did turn me on to um, wanting to learn more about how your mind works. And so I discovered the library for the very first time, which uh, was because I didn't have money to buy a lot of books or audiobooks. So I would go to the library and I would, I would start grabbing audiobooks because I didn't like to read that much, but I could listen while I was driving around. So I started getting audiobooks on psychology and self-help and personal development and pretty much any any topic that had to do with self-esteem making money um feeling more courageous you know i i just i rented you know hundreds and hundreds of audiobooks and i think that probably was a better education for me amy than uh than all the years i went to school for psychology <laughs> Well, it's a really interesting point that you make there. And you also sort of touched on the fact that people go to therapy for years and yet they don't feel any better. And, and one thing that you're saying with hypnosis is that in that moment, you felt this huge shift and you that sense of calm in literally a matter of minutes. Tell me about how hypnosis can do that. Great question. So hypnosis allows you to um, go within and 
trigger your relaxation response, your body's built-in ability to feel a sense of ease. You know, we have two built-in coping strategies in our brain. And the first one that developed um, about a half a million years ago was the fight or flight response. And that is a mechanism that's designed to keep us from being taken out, right? It's designed to help us feel safe. So if we hear a rattle in the bushes or if we're alone in the dark, or you know, if we're we see someone that doesn't look like us or isn't familiar to us, it activates like a fire alarm that's built in our brain that releases adrenaline and cortisol and these stress hormones that are designed to help us run away or fight. And um, but we had we couldn't keep having this fight or flight response go on all the time without also having something to turn it off. And so then, because otherwise the stress was more dangerous than. Uh, than the uh, you know imposed dangers and so or the perceived dangers and so um, our brain then developed the relaxation response which is what Herbert Benson coined the term relaxation response and it's just your body's way of slowing back down and so we can activate that natural response inside of us through closing our eyes slowing down using our breathing breathing through our nose instead of our mouth and imagining relaxing scenery. So imagine being in a, at a beach or by a mountain or um, floating down a river or being in a garden, um, relaxing imagery. We might imagine flowing sunshine through our body and just imagining relaxing images um, cause us to feel a sense of ease. Our body releases endorphins, dopamine, serotonin, enkephalins, natural neurotransmitters and hormones in the brain. Our brain has a natural pharmacy inside of it and it releases these happy feelings, these happy chemicals inside of us that give us a sense of euphoria and peace. And that's what I experienced. And I didn't know that I could feel that experience. And I didn't know that I could activate that experience. At the time, I still thought the hypnotist did it. You know, I thought the hypnotist was the one with the magic. Now, after practicing hypnosis for 30 years, I realized that it's not the hypnotist. It's the client that you're working with. They walk in with the magic inside of them. Hypnosis isn't what's powerful. Your mind, your emotions, and you are what's powerful. It's kind of like if you have a safe and it has all your treasures in this safe, but you only know two of the numbers for the combination. And you try and try and try to get that safe door open and it feels impossible. But if you discover the third number in the combination and then you, and you add, fill it in, the door opens with ease, effortlessly, right? The trick is to learning the combination. And most people don't know what the combination is, so they never really access the power that's inside of them. That's why people like you and I, Amy, have, who have found the combination, uh, have been wanting to share it with as many people as possible. I love that. And, and as you're talking to me, I just had this image pop in my head of these two pharmacists in my head dispensing different drugs at, at will without any control and without any qualifications. And actually, that's quite scary. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, it's true. Now, uh, these pharmacists in your head um, have been developed over millennium, right, over millions of years. So they know what they're doing. But it does go to show that our brain our unconscious mind, which controls about 80% of what we do, really is calling most of the shots in our life. So you're right, these pharmacists really are calling most of the shots. Brain researcher researchers, they call them um, cognitive scientists, brain scientists, they 
say that uh, your unconscious mind pulls almost all the decisions that you make. We call them habits or conditioned responses or reflexes, right? That your brain is, um, there's some studies that show that your mind has made a decision on what you're going to do sometimes up to seven full seconds before you consciously are aware of why you're making the decision that you're making. And so you're right. You don't want these um, um, little pharmacists in your head controlling your life without any conscious input from you. Um, these same re researchers also say that uh, most of the beliefs that drive us were formed by the time we were eight years old. So it's also like there's an inner eight-year-old, a little boy or girl inside of you deciding what you're going to do with your love life or with your money or with your health, what you eat, right? And, and every other decision that we make. So without having an understanding of how your mind works, you truly are, are at the mercy of however you were programmed when you were little. And, and that's something that's really fascinating is that often the beliefs that we're still operating with as an adult are no longer serving us, but we don't, we're not aware of that. We're not aware of what our beliefs are. And, and sort of we're, you've written about this. This is something that you know a lot about. So share that with us. Yes, I wrote a book a while ago. Every five years, I sit down and write a book based on what I've learned from working with thousands of clients. So it's all in the trenches research, right? I've, I've facilitated over 15,000 individual sessions with people um, from all walks of life, from all over the world, with every kind of problem there is, and paid attention to what was working and what wasn't working, to what people were saying that was getting the results and what people were saying that was sabotaging them. And there were clear patterns that emerged. And the one belief um, that I have from observing all these other police, uh, all these people over these years is that you are truly one belief away from having any kind of breakthrough you want. So the book that I wrote five years ago was called Get Out of Your Way. <laughs> and it was all about understanding how your mind works and how to program yourself and how to retrain your brain for success. And then the book that I just wrote uh, with a friend of mine, Dr. Joe Vitale, we're releasing that in January and it's called One Belief Away. And it, the premise is simple. You are one belief away from your biggest breakthrough, from your biggest transformation. You're just one belief away from having a healthier body, from having more money, from growing your business, from bringing the passion back into your relationships, from having strong confidence and self-esteem, from being able to go from I'm not good enough to I am good enough. I can't to I can. I'm procrastinating. Oh no, I'm fully motivated, focused, and driven. It's just one belief that separates the those who get what they want from those who are still struggling. And uh, and I write the exact process that I take people through. Uh, it's in that book, the exact process for what to do to upgrade those unconscious beliefs. Well, it sounds amazing. And why don't you share with us what transformations you've seen amongst those 15,000 different uh, times that you spent with people? Share, share a couple of those with us. So Kathleen came to see me and she um, was just near uh, 300 pounds. She came in to lose some weight. She sat in my chair and she said, Tim, I don't really think that weight loss is going to work for me. I've been trying for years. I'm like 50, I think she was 57. And I've been trying for years to lose weight and it just, nothing has worked for me. So I'm here because I want you to make me a happy fat person. And then she started crying and I, and I knew that that's not what she really wanted. She was settling. 
because that's what we do when we're desperate and we don't know what else to do. And we've tried so many ways to change how we feel and have failed, which is only because we haven't changed the unconscious belief. It's like you have weeds in your garden and you're cutting the top of the weed off and the weed keeps growing back. And you're like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get rid of these weeds? You know, it must be that I'm defective. I'm no good. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve to be in a garden that has no weeds. No, that's not the case at all. The problem is that you're trying to cut the top of the weed off when you have to get in at the root and pull it out there and then plant a flower, right? But most people don't know those other steps. So they go through life. And because we don't understand how our mind works, most people are standing in their garden watering the weeds complaining why they have so many of them. They don't realize that they're actually growing the weeds. And so we think that the weeds are just happening to us. So I realized that was the case. So I took Kathleen through my awakening experience that's in the One Belief Away book. And um, how many was, I think it was nine months later, she was down 155 pounds. She lost half her body weight. She regained her confidence, her self-love, her vitality. She went from I'm not worthy of being happy to I am. If you have a belief in your mind that you're not worthy of being happy, you will not be able to achieve a goal. Or if you achieve it by sheer will, it won't be sustainable. You'll go right back because that's the belief that's running in your head, which is why people lose weight and gain it all back over and over and over. So it was a huge experience. I mean, she doesn't even look like the same person because she's not the same person because we upgraded the belief that I'm not worthy of being happy. I had someone else come in that um, she had a coughing spell. Her name was Jerry. I can use their first names because they all gave me testimonials. So, and, and permission to do this. But Jerry had a coughing fit where she would come in and <coughs> and sometimes that coughing fit would last weeks. Like all day, all night, she couldn't work. She had to move back in with her parents. She was about 23 years old. She was a teacher, brilliant young woman. <coughs> she said that she had this environmental um, response to smells. So if she smelled cologne or if she smelled something that felt foreign, it would trigger this coughing attack. So she came to me because they tried everything else for years. Nothing ever worked. And uh, they were so desperate. So they came to a hypnotist because that's what people do. They try everything else. And then as a last resort, I'll try hypnosis. And, uh, and I worked with her. And the first session, the very first session, she coughed through it the whole time. Okay. Now, I'm not going to go into a lot of details about what we did in the session. But what I will tell you is that we did two things. We upgraded a limiting belief that she had about herself and her capabilities. The biggest fear that people have is that I'm not good enough. I'm not enough. Because I'm not enough, I won't be loved. So how do I get love? And we develop all kinds of dysfunctional ways to try to chase approval and validation. And it just wrecks our life in most, most cases. So we upgraded her belief. And then I had her imagine taking that cough. And I used some NLP techniques, which I know you are immersed in the study of that. So yay, that's awesome. And, <laughs> and we, uh, I, I used dissociation. And I put that coughing behind a glass wall that couldn't get back to her. And I dissociated for it, from her, right? Now, mind you, she was still coughing through our whole session. But she went home and she coughed the way, whole way home. She didn't stop. But she woke up the next way and the coughing was gone. 
She went a whole week, the coughing was gone. She came back and she said, I can't even believe this. Her mom was with her, her dad was with her, everybody was crying and happy. And she's like, it went away. But then she was afraid it was gonna come back. So we did a couple more sessions just to reinforce what to do instead. And she said, um, occasionally, she would start to feel the tingle in her throat and start to come back. And then she knew how to use her power breathing and activate the relaxation response. She dropped it back down and it stayed away. That gave her tremendous power because now she was in a situation where she was scared that it was going to come back and it didn't. She knew how to take control and that transformed her life. She was able to go on a, a Disney vacation. She was able to travel around. She was able to start working again. It completely changed her life because um, we were able to go inside and upgrade a belief and change what she was experiencing. If we had never met and she had never used hypnosis, I shudder to think where she would be today. So I have countless stories of the, that, Amy, just one after another of extraordinary experiences where people have overcome panic attacks, all kinds of trauma from people being molested or raped or kidnapped or tortured, veterans um, who are prisoners of war, horrible stuff like that. My, my uh, specialty was post-traumatic stress. So I've helped people through suicides. I mean, just really horrible stuff. And then all kinds of bad habits and getting off drugs and saving your marriage. And then when I heard too much of that and I needed a break, I went into corporate America, started helping people make money and grow their business and be more effective with teams. And so it's helped with just about every problem that human beings face. And yet something that I picked up on that you said is that people come to you as the last resort. Why is hypnosis the last resort? Or why is it perceived to be the last resort? It's a double-edged sword. It's been around as long as modern medicine has been around, probably longer, actually. I mean, they go back to 3,000 years ago. The Egyptians used sleep temples where they would take people that felt ill and they would take them away and they would use relaxation and music and chanting and incantations, which are these days we would call them positive affirmations, and people would get better. They didn't call it hypnosis, but that's really what hypnosis is. Hypnosis is a word that means to sleep because it looked like people were sleeping when they were so relaxed, even though you're not sleeping. But the word, you know, um, it spread. And so now that's what we call hypnosis, right? It used to be mesmerizing, you know, mesmerization from a guy named Franz Anton Mesmer, who was learning about hypnosis. And, and he would use hypnosis almost like a stage hypnotist. And uh, people are having amazing results and they were called it, um, you were being mesmerized, you know, and so it's just my, my, my podcast is called how to be mesmerizing. <laughs> so, um, but it, hypnosis is what stuck, uh, what took, what stuck. And in the 1900s with vaudeville, um, hypnot hypnosis came back um, for the entertainment side of it. People would be hypnotized and they would run needles through their hands and people wouldn't even flinch, right? They would um, make people stiff as a board and have someone stand on them and, and, you know, and do all these parlor tricks. And then of course, have them do all kinds of funny, silly um, games. There was um, one person, he was very, very famous at this. And um, uh, what is his name? Yeah, it'll come to me. I should know because they, they call him the Dean of, uh, of, of modern hypnosis. Anyway, 
It'll come to me. I see his face, Orman McGill. That's right, Orman McGill. Now notice I use hypnosis. I kept telling me, it'll come to me, it'll come to me. And then it did, okay? Orman McGill, the dean of, uh, of hypnosis. And in the 30s, 40s, 50s, he was very famous for putting on these occult kind of magic shows because that's what people were into, seances and stuff like communicating with the spirits. Well, he would hypnotize people and make them do all kinds of funny stuff. Right. So he would be an orchestra leader and he have people playing the trombone and playing the drums and playing the violin, even though there weren't any instruments. But everybody was playing and he was getting this, you know, all these people to be the star. And it was great. People loved it. And that became the modern day hypnosis shows that you see in high schools or you see in Las Vegas. Right. And around the world where people are doing these shows to demonstrate the power of suggestion, the power of getting people relaxed. And the idea that if you get rid of the worry that people are going to judge you, you forget about it, you lower your inhibitions, and you just be yourself and be a star, you can do anything. And that's really what it's all about. Not making people cluck like a chicken, but showing people how brilliant they really are. It helps you get out of your own way. And so those shows were hugely popular and still are because they're hilarious and everybody gets to play. You get to laugh in the audience or you get to be a star on stage and either way, it's awesome. So then when we had talk shows in the 80s and 90s, then uh, they had stage hypnotists on there. And then of course the movie saw that. And so all of a sudden Count Dracula could hypnotize people and you know all these, all these scary movies where people were hypnotizing other people and making them do bad things like the Manchurian Candidate, the government's gonna hypnotize you. And, right? and so they put it into Hollywood well, what that did for the general public was scare them. You're not going to make me go crazy. You're not going to make me humiliate myself. You're not going to make me do that stuff. That must be the work of the devil. You're not going to let the devil in my mind. And so for decades, people associated it with mind control and the devil. And that's why it got such a bad rep. Most people don't realize that hypnosis and chemical anesthesia were the two um, modes of helping people to reduce pain in the 1800s. And if the um, medical anesthesia uh, community didn't have as much uh, money as they did, we might be using hypnosis before surgery instead of chemicals. So, plus, you know, um, Mesmer, uh, Anton Mesmer got a bit of an ego and got cocky and arrogant, and people didn't like that either. And so that also was a downfall of hypnosis. But you got to remember, most of the people that studied hypnosis, 95% of the people were medical doctors. They were the ones that were using hypnotism orig originally, not stage hypnotists. And so um, people don't understand the background of it. But there has been a shift, Amy. Um, in the last 10 years, more and more hypnosis is becoming mainstream because all these celebrities who are rich and powerful who could go anywhere and work with anyone are hiring hypnotists. Every big celebrity out there has hired a hypnotist to help them break a bad habit. Matt Damon, uh, Ellen DeGeneres quit smoking using hypnosis. I mean, you name it. You know, Sylvester Stallone and, and uh, you know, used hypnosis. And I mean, just on and on. There's so many people that have used hypnosis for years to elevate their career. So, um, so it is becoming more and more mainstream every single day. Absolutely. And, and with what you were saying, I think 
one of the things you mentioned was the the sort of the lowering of inhibitions and that vulnerability that people feel is probably also equal to the fear that they have or the phobia they have they don't want to go to that place they don't want to experience the fear because they it's again it's a it's a nervous position to put themselves in Mm -hmm. until they try it and they're like this isn't anything that i thought i'm alert i'm awake i'm in control i'm actually more in control because i'm not allowing my habits my addictions my worries my insecurities to control me i'm actually in control And so they feel so relaxed, they feel so good. And the very first session, I upgrade a belief. So it's a powerful, transformative experience the very first time. And it blows people away. They're like, this is incredible. I can't even believe how much this has impacted my life. Why isn't everybody doing this? Well, that's what you and I are helping more people to, uh, to, you know, to just understand what it really is and what we're really offering. And that's a frustration that I find is is when I when I've sort of come across something and, and NLP has been in the last few years I've come across it. It's a frustration to a certain point of why is this not more mainstream? Why do, why are children not taught this in sort of schools as well? Because it is such a, an amazing tool to have, and you know even just talking about the phobias, but as as what as an extreme level to to combat those, but more from a belief system you know, and and ridding those limiting beliefs and and imposter syndrome from an earlier age is so empowering. It is. You're exactly right. And again, you know, we go through these different shifts in our culture and, and there's many, many reasons why the world is the way that it is. You know, um, schools were developed, um, to help people become factory workers. It wasn't to really educate us. It was so that we could teach kids how to work in factories. That's what schools really developed from. And it came about, you know, control and and being a group instead of being individuals and learn what you need to do so that you can do something with it. And then it goes out the other ear. I mean, a lot of the education that you need to be um, that you need to have in life to be really successful, you don't learn in school. And uh, it's unfortunate. So, but we're in a time right now where we're starting to change that. I mean, the world is in a, a, a very exciting place. I mean, if, if you look for the rain, you're always going to find it. If you look for the rainbow that comes after the rain, you're going to find that too. You can't get the rainbow without the rain, <laughs> right? And so we're in a time right now where, where people are taking a look at what's more important, what's, what's valuable, what matters to them. And um, where there's more social justice that's happening, even though it looks like, you know, people are rioting and, and there's a lot of heartbreak. We are also saying, hey, we need to stand up and take notice and get rid of the isms, the sexism, the racism, you know, the ageism, all these isms that hold people back. We need to come together and collaborate instead of being so competitive. We need to love and value one another instead of um, judging each other and finding each other less than all the time. Uh, and so. What we do when we when people find that there are um, better ways, those are the people that stand up and and try to make a difference, right? It's like uh, being a bright light in a darkened room. You know, we've got to bring the light, and if you can just impact uh, one or two more people, you've done your job. You know, you've done a really good job. And so, the more you discover uh, neuro linguistic programming and the tools that come with it, and the insights and strategies the more it's going to impact your life. And that's the success. You can impact others, but it was your life that was supposed to be impacted. 
And so you're already succeeding. You're already a success. And uh, that's very exciting. Yeah, I mean, just going back to that point about the schools being created for sort of the industrialization and and as we've moved through the different ages from the industrial through to the information age and now we're sort of in the midst already of, of a digital age, you know, what is going to be the next age? Is it going to be something where we are much more sort of enlightened with our, our capacity to, to move forward and progress. I'm, I'm intrigued. Perhaps we might not even see it, but uh, I'm intrigued to see how we're going to understand more of our cognitive ability. Well, I think we're already seeing it because uh, when you have campaigns that are occurring in the world where people are saying, hey, we need to love each other more, we need to come together more, we need to recognize that there is um, systemic racism that's happening or sexism that's happening and we're calling it out. This is the first time I ever have seen in history where powerful people are actually being held accountable for the crimes that they've committed. With the internet, you have the ability to do things that uh, you were not able to do 20 years ago, right? The way we can connect with each other, you and I are having this podcast, you know, and we're both on the other side of the pond, <laughs> right? And yet we're able to have this wonderful conversation because of technology, right? And so I believe that it's already happening. Um, the book that, that I'm producing with um, Joe Vitale, uh, we're, we're self-publishing it on Amazon. It was like 85% of the books sold in the world are through Amazon now. We didn't try to go through Simon & Schuster or through somewhere else. In fact, I got an offer from Earl Nightingale, which is a dream come true, and I turned it down, which I can't even believe, because they wanted someone else to record it. And I said, no, <laughs> right? I'm recording it, right? Because I want that connection with my audience. And, uh, and I wouldn't have been able to do that without the technology that we have right now. So the world is really uh, transforming quickly. And, uh, and I'm excited to see what happens next. So this podcast is called Focus on Why, and it's all about why people do what they do. And I, I think you've explained a little bit why, because of the anxiety that you said that you experienced as a child took you into this whole world. But why do you continue to do what you do now? Well, my mission is to end needless emotional suffering. I love it. I love helping people to have that freedom. I love uh, watching people to go, go from a breakdown to a breakthrough. And I also know that um, there are simple, easy fixes that allow people to have that combination to open the safe and, and make their dreams come true. And it doesn't matter if they're in a company, you know, changing how people listen to one another, Change, improving how people uh, beliefs that people have, whether you're a leader, whether you're a CEO, whether you're a manager, a supervisor, or you're an employee, or you are, uh, you know, a husband or, or wife or um, spouse or life partner. There are so many simple little tips and strategies that you can use that will make your life more quality. And people don't know what they are. We're riddled with blind spots and insecurity, and I feel like it's an ethical obligation. I mean, God gave me these gifts and these skills. It's an ethical obligation to share them with as many people as I possibly can. And uh, I love it. That's what makes me excited. I don't, I'm, that's my hobby. You know, I don't really get into watching sports. You know, I like movies, but I would rather write another article or produce another video myself. Um, 
I don't, I'd rather help someone have a breakthrough than go fishing. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's just who I am, you know, it's who I've grown into, who I've become. I can't imagine doing anything else except what I'm doing um, because it's helped so many people. You know, every once in a while, I'll organize a closet or a drawer or clean my office up because it looks like a, a post-it note factory blew up. I got papers and notes everywhere, right? And so, <laughs> and uh, and I'll go through them and every once in a while, I'll go through a stack of cards, you know, and I tend to get rid of a lot of them because there's just too much to keep track of. But I always keep the ones that say, you really changed my life. You know, I can't imagine what would have happened if I hadn't met you. And those cards are invaluable to me. They make me smile, you know, because I mean, granted, what I do is also hard. I'm also, uh, you know, it's very stressful. A lot of times there's a lot of people that fight real hard to sabotage themselves and they don't even know they're doing it. Right. So it's a lot of work helping people to actually make sustainable changes in their life. So, um, I mean, I could work with the people that are just easy to work with, but I tend to try to help the ones who are really struggling. The people who have had the most difficult of times are the cases that I'm working with, right? Where if you've tried everything else, nothing's worked, come see me, right? And so, um, and I work with a lot of top coaches who are brilliant, but who also have blind spots. I still have my blind spots, right? And so, so I've upped my game a little bit. I'm working with, um, um, tougher cases. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but I'm working with more challenging circumstances and, and, uh, so that I feel a little more challenged. Plus I know I can help, but, um, but that's why I do it because I love it. And you mentioned it being an ethical obligation. And I feel that, that once I take on something and I learn a new strategy or new tool, I feel that it is an obligation to pass on that knowledge or to help other people in that same way, because otherwise, you know, what are you doing? I, I, would, I would feel bad not helping someone, but I, I don't know whether that's a, a sort of a similar quest that we both have or whether that's something that everybody shares. I think it's a similar quest because you're acting on it. And a lot of people feel they should do the right thing and they don't. And, uh, or they start to make a move towards what they want and then they get scared and then they spend all their time figuring out how to get out of it. You know, someone who get, invests in a program and then a, the next day wants a refund because, oh, it didn't work for me. It would work for you, but your sabotaging beliefs are causing you to do what you always do. And then that's what sabotages them. And then instead of saying, how can I make this work? They think, how can I get out of this? And so people are brilliant at sabotaging themselves. They do it all the time. And half the time they think that that's not what's really happening. They really want their goal. It's just not the right time. Or they just don't have the money. Or this approach just really didn't work for them because they're somehow different from the other 8 billion people on the planet. <laughs> right? So people are very good at sabotaging themselves. And uh, not everybody is going to get through it. All right, you and I can offer the best uh, approaches out there and some people are still going to say, no, I'm not ready or I'm not interested or they're still going to sabotage themselves or they haven't had enough pain yet. Usually when you've had enough pain, then you're like, I can't handle it anymore. I have to do this. So pain can be good. You know, the goal isn't to get rid of pain in life. The goal is to learn how to use it to improve the quality of your life. 
And you talked about the big T and the little T in terms of trauma. And one of my sort of sort of quests is to try and help people get to the point where they can change their lives, they can take responsibility before they have to experience that big trauma, because you know, that you don't want people to get to that point. But what we're talking about here is about effort, people having to take effort and action and people want the shortcut and it's not always available. Yeah, no one can do your push-ups for you. I mean, if you want stronger, you got to do your push-ups, right? But the goal is to get really uh, motivated to do one push-up and then to feel proud of yourself afterwards so that you are strategically associating pleasure to the activity. Not what the push-ups are going to give me, but actually doing the push-up gives me pleasure, right? People don't do that. What people do is they accidentally associate pain and discomfort to their action steps. And that's why they procrastinate because your brain naturally wants to avoid pain and discomfort. So if you are accidentally associating pain, oh my God, it's going to hurt. I'm going to be sweaty. I'm going to be sore. I don't have time to do this. If I get on the ground, I won't be able to get back up. Oh, I'm going to feel so horrible about myself. I have to get in shape before I do push-ups. All these ideas that cause us to go, ew, I don't want to do that because they're associating pain to it and not even realizing they're doing it. So it's important that we learn how to um, use our mind in the right way. And, and um, you know, I've got, uh, I'm not sure the link is working. So if, if anybody listening wants, if you send me an email, tim at timshire.com, I've got a great ebook or I'll send you the audio book. I don't care. Uh, either one. It's called The Cure for Self-Sabotage. I, I sat in um, a small room with clients for 26 years, listening to the stories they describe and what they say to themselves. And I know the exact patterns that will help you succeed or that will sabotage you your entire life. There's 10 of them. I, I read, recognized them. I saw them over and over and over again. And I put them into a, a short ebook called The Cure for Self-Sabotage. And then I created an audiobook because I like audiobooks, so I figured others would too. And so if you send me an email and say, hey, give me that cure for self-sabotage, I'll send you the ebook or the audiobook for free. And uh, it will teach you the 10 strategies that are sabotaging you. And if you flip them around, it's the 10 top ways to use the power of your mind to create your life by design. It's awesome. And I'm happy to give it away for free because it will help people end that needless suffering today. And I love that you called it the cure for self-sabotage as opposed to the 10 top sort of for, for what was it? Say, say it again, 10 top. Yeah. The 10 top ways of using the power of your mind to create your life by design. Cause people don't do that. They, uh, they want to avoid pain more than they want the pleasure. So you actually use that in the title, which is so clever. So, you know, yeah. just in case people didn't spot that, that, that was another way of tapping into the pain as opposed to the, the sort of the outcome. Good well, catch, Amy. Catch. <laughs> well, it's you know that's that's the thing about language is that you know we we use it all the time and yet people aren't necessarily always aware of the self talk or or the the talk that they people are hearing the outward talk as well and it's yeah. so so incredibly powerful. Yeah, absolutely. So if your listeners are interested, um, the One Belief Away book comes out in January. We're going to have a fun uh, release party with uh, Joe Vitale and myself. If you want to get on that list, uh, go to www.onebeliefawaybook.com. That's www.onebeliefawaybook.com. 
grab that list. And then if you want the cure for self-sabotage, send me an email. Well, I'll make sure both of those are in the show notes, those links, so that people can just look and and tap into those because I don't know why they wouldn't, but you know, that's, that's the power of, you know, their own, their own belief in themselves. If, if they, they want to, they will. Those who are ready, those who are ready will show up. And those are the ones that we're, you know, wanting to work with. Absolutely. Wow. I feel like we've sort of done a whirlwind tour of hypnosis and NLP and, and belief systems. It's been fantastic. And, and I, I feel that we could talk for hours, but for today, we'll, we'll put it on hold. And just want to say thank you so much, Tim, for coming on the show and sharing your why you do what you do. Oh, thank you, Amy. It's been a real honor to be on your program. And thank you so much for the excellent questions. Oh, you're welcome. And how would people um, get in touch with you generally? Where do you hang out? Uh, you could go to timsure.com and that's my speaking site, but I've got lots of resources there. If you look me up on YouTube or Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, I'm on all the social media sites. So uh, that's the easiest way. Well, I'll point them in the right direction by including all those links in the show notes too. And can we have a final word from you, please, Tim? Yes. Here's what I've learned over all these years. You are already enough. You have nothing to prove you're already good. The more you love, accept, encourage, and support you, the more your life is going to become what you've always wanted it to be. So when you get up and you look in the mirror, I want you to look at yourself and say, good morning, gorgeous. Let's make today a beautiful day. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrowlandson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.